0: that with you. So we're back in the Gospel of John, uh, but before we get there, have you guys ever noticed that, uh, that the people that you get to know the most in life, sometimes the people you know the best in life, are the people you work with? Have you guys noticed that? These people that you spend like 40 hours a week with, you get to know so much about them because you're spending so much time with them. This like arbitrary thing happened where some boss somewhere decided that this person could work with you in this position and you just now for 40 hours a week, you're hanging out with this random stranger all the time and you get to know them very well. Whether you would wanted to be friends with them or not, you could become some sort of a friend. Especially if it's a healthy work environment, at most you'll be frenemies, okay? And so you have this person that you work with or people that you work with and you get to know them a lot. You get to know their hobbies. You get to know their goals. You get to know what keeps them up at night. You get to know what uh, are their pet peeves. Like you get to know like, oh man, uh, Tim really doesn't like when I put my fork and my knife together because he hates that noise of metal clanking together. You get to know all that. You get to know sometimes like I've gotten to know people like their deep dark secrets and I'm like, whoa, this is work, dude. I gotta go make some copies right now. Like what? (laughs) I can't bear this burden right now. Like you just get to know all these deep, intimate things about people that you work with. And I think it's two reasons that we get to know the people we work with so well. The first reason is we're just spending a lot of time with them. We're spending a ton of time with these people. And so when you spend a lot of time with someone, you're just going to get to know them. That's just true. So all these people that we work with, we spend a lot of time with them. And then secondly, you see how they work. You get to know them because you watch how they work. I don't know why, but there's something about work. And even if you have the same tasks, there's something about watching someone do those tasks. And you see a bit of their character. You see a bit of who they are. I think often how we work shows a lot of who we are and the kind of people that we are and how we exist in the world. And so often even too, when you watch someone work, you go, hey, why do you do things that way? Or why do you that, do things that way? And, and you, you get to know people by just watching them work. So we, we get to know our coworkers so well because we spend so much time with them and we get to know how they work. So what does this have to do with the gospel of John? Well, we're in John chapter 16 today. And Jesus is touching again on this theme, on this idea, on this person, as he puts it, of the Holy Spirit. He's going to be going away, and the the disciples are freaking out. And Jesus says, hey, the Holy Spirit's coming. He calls the Holy Spirit the helper and the spirit of truth. He says, this Holy Spirit is coming, and he's going to live with you. And today, what we're going to see about the Holy Spirit is one of the ways we get to know the Holy Spirit as the church, as Jesus is presenting the Holy Spirit to us, one of the ways we get to know the Holy Spirit is through the work of the Holy Spirit. The things the Holy Spirit does. The tasks that the Holy Spirit partakes in. And then, I would argue, the way we get to know the Holy Spirit also is by spending time with the Spirit, by getting to know the Spirit. So we get to know the Spirit, and I really think it's Jesus' vision that the church would get to know the Spirit by spending time with the Spirit. And so we get to know the Spirit through the Spirit's work and through spending time with the Spirit, just like with our co-workers. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're in John chapter 16. We're going to break it up into three parts, and we're going to see three things about the Holy Spirit. The first thing we're going to see about the Holy Spirit is it is to our advantage that we have the Holy Spirit. The second thing we're going to see about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit convicts. The third thing that we're going to see about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit speaks. And I'm going to say all these things about the Holy Spirit and we're going to be left going, well then how do I get the Holy Spirit? How do I access the Holy Spirit? And we believe that once you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you, but a lot of us go, I don't know if I feel that presence or I don't know if I'm guided by the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to spend the the end of the sermon just talking about what does it mean to be connected to the Holy Spirit? What does it mean for us to be connected to the Holy Spirit who we have access to, okay? So that's where we're going today. Let's go to John chapter 16. We're going to be starting in verse 4, okay, to uh, give you a reminder, although I've, I've given you a little bit of a reminder where we've been. Jesus is headed towards the cross, He knows these are going to be three hard days in each of the disciples' life. And so Jesus gives this discourse where he's pouring his heart out for the disciples. He's showing them immense pictures of his love. He's inviting them and commanding them to live out that love. And then he's also just uh, helping give them promises... So that they know how to live in these three days that are really difficult. But what we realize is it's not just these three days Jesus is preparing them for. Jesus is also preparing them for when he resurrects and then ascends into heaven and he's away. He's preparing them for that time as well. Which is relevant to us because we live in that time as well. And so that's where Jesus has been in the last few chapters and he'll continue to be. And so let's start in verse 4. We're going to break this up in three parts. Verse four says this, but I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrows filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus gathers his disciples. He's been, he keeps kind of saying like, hey, I'm going away. Hey, I'm going away. This was not their vision of a Messiah. Their vision of a Messiah was someone that was going to go wreck Rome and go take military control and get Israel its freedom back. And so Jesus going, hey, I'm a Messiah that's going to go away. These guys who just spent three years with him, abandoning their lives and following him are going, wait, what? This is where this road leads? We followed you this long? And so there is deep sorrow happening in them. They're not getting it. They know that Jesus isn't a liar too. I like that little note there. They're sad because they believe Jesus. They're confused about everything he's saying, it seems like. But they're like, we know he don't lie. <laughs> he's going to be gone. <laughs> I, I don't know when or like, I don't know what's going on. And so they have these broken hearts and they're really sad about what's going on. And Jesus begins to teach them about the Holy Spirit. He did a couple passages ago we talked about. And he begins this robust teaching of the Holy Spirit. He uses this word, The helper which in the Greek is paraclete, which if you have different English translations, you'll get different translations of that word. It means advocate, it means counselor, it means comforter, it means helper. And what we talked about a couple weeks ago is that Greek word, it's, it's so robust, it's so jam-packed with meaning that each of those English translations are good translations, but they just show a piece of the picture of what the Holy Spirit is, of who the Holy Spirit is, who the helper is. And we talked about how Tim Keller says, hey, the way, a way that he, that I like to define Tim Keller is by calling the Holy Spirit the ultimate friend. Because of everything that gets jam-packed into the, to that phrase. And so one of the ways that Jesus is comforting the disciples through this time is going, I am sending someone who's the ultimate friend. I'm sending an advocate, a helper, a counselor, a comforter. And we spent a lot of time on that a couple weeks ago. And so if you want to hear more about that, go back to that sermon. But the point I want to make about the Holy Spirit today is one of the first things Jesus says here about the Holy Spirit. He says this, it is to our advantage that we have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to phrase it another way. It is to our advantage that Jesus is physically gone And the disciples and us have the Holy Spirit instead. It's better for us. Remember, Jesus ain't a liar. It is better for us to have the Holy Spirit. It's to our advantage. We need to get that idea about the Holy Spirit in our minds right now. This is what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. This is how we are to think about the Holy Spirit. It's to our advantage that we have the Holy Spirit, to which a bunch of us are going, I'm not sure, but why, Anthony? Because Jesus in the flesh, although the greatest gift the world has ever known, Jesus in the flesh can't be everywhere at once. But his spirit can. Because Jesus in the flesh, he can't live in us and animate us. But his spirit can. Before Jesus uh, left the disciples and ascended into heaven, before that, the only way to access Jesus was to physically be with him. It was the only way to access the Son of God was you had to physically be with him, right? That's that's the only way. The reason it is to our advantage that Jesus has gone and sent the Spirit is because now we can access Jesus without him physically being in front of us. That's what Jesus is teaching. That is absolutely what Jesus is teaching, It is to our advantage because the disciples, anyone that is a disciple of Jesus, this teaching of Jesus, it means that we get more of Jesus, not less of Jesus. Because now Jesus exists in all his people across the globe. Anywhere you go where there are believers, there is Jesus, there is his spirit residing in his people. The Holy Spirit makes a way for any disciple of Christ to be with Jesus, even though Jesus isn't physically with us. That is amazing. That's incredible. That means that Christians on the other side of the globe right now, sleeping, they're with Jesus. That means us on this side of the globe, we're with Jesus through the power of the Spirit. I know most of us are probably going, I'd rather have the physical Jesus. But you'd have to follow him around all the time. (laughs) It'd be kind of hard. But with the Spirit, we have Jesus. This mysterious work of the Holy Spirit this mysterious work of Jesus in sending us the Spirit, is that each and every one of us has Jesus. It's to our advantage to have the Holy Spirit. It's to our advantage. We have access to Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's arrival means we get more of Jesus, not less. right, let's keep going in the text. Let's keep going in the text. Verse 8, we'll go through 11. Jesus is continuing to teach about the Holy Spirit. And he says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So when the Holy Spirit comes, when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Now, and and, and note, the Holy Spirit continues the work of Jesus. So that's one of the advantages of the Holy Spirit as well. He continues the work of Jesus and the things that Jesus has done. Where Jesus could only do them as one man, in God in the flesh physically, the Holy Spirit now can do his work across the globe. So when that Holy Spirit comes, he continues the work of Jesus. And one of the chief works of the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts. You don't convict. The Holy Spirit convicts. Conviction and this idea of the Holy Spirit convicting, it has to do with the Holy Spirit just going, hey, you're guilty of a lot. There's no way around it. As I studied this passage, I looked at what that original Greek word meant and all these things. It's like, you're guilty of wrongdoing. One of the chief works of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit does this work of saying, hey, you're guilty of all kinds of wrongdoing. The Holy Spirit does a work of conviction. I, I, it's hard for us because we, we really resist that, this idea that any of us are sinners, that any of us are guilty or we kind of associate the feelings of guilt and shame, and we say, that's so bad, I don't want anything to do with it. But there is a healthy guilt that the Holy Spirit has for us. And and what we see is the Holy Spirit convicts about three things. In, In particular, it says that the Holy Spirit convicts about. The first thing is, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of its sin. The Holy Spirit does a work saying, you've guys got it wrong. You guys have sinned. You guys are living selfishly. You're worshiping idols. You're worshiping yourselves. You are not living right, and you need to be convicted of your sin. That is one of the works of the Holy Spirit, to convict us of our sin. We need to be convicted of our sin. Even look how Jesus phrases it in verse 9 about this conviction of sin. He says, the problem is they don't believe in him. I just find that interesting because I think a lot of times when we talk about sin, we think about sin as this kind of like, here's the list of arbitrary rules from God and I just got to follow those rules. And if I don't follow those rules, I'm sinning. And listen, there are commands of God that we are supposed to follow and obey because that's what we were created for. But Jesus roots the people of the day's sin in their lack of belief in him. And remember... In John, this idea, this word believe, it's not how we hear believe. We hear believe and we just go, oh, it's just kind of like cognitively ascend to these ideas. Just like, go, oh, I believe that. Like, I believe I can sit in a chair because the chair uh, will hold me up. And that's part of that word. But really this word, this idea of believe in John and this theme of believe throughout John is this idea of entrusting yourself to Jesus. Trusting Jesus. That even in the midst of everything, telling you not to, that you go, you know what? I'm going to take your hand. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to believe what you say. Even though that doesn't look right to me, that doesn't seem right to me. I'm going to believe. I'm going to entrust myself to you. And so Jesus helps us see that the Holy Spirit convicts us because a lot of us, there's just this thing in our heart that doesn't want to trust Jesus. That doesn't want to entrust ourselves completely completely. And holy to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will convict us about that. I love the Gospel of John because of how relational that is. Like there, Jesus is constantly saying, my problem is you're not in relationship with me. My problem is that you will not connect with me. My problem is that you will not follow me and trust me. And the reason that's encouraging to me is because if Jesus came, hey, my problem is you're not following the Ten Commandments, I'd be like, I'm out. I don't know if I can do them. But my problem is my lack of trust in him, my lack of belief in him. Okay, so the Holy Spirit does a work of convicting our sins, uh, convicting us of our sins, and that's good for us. Because it should push us into God's arms. Okay, the next uh, thing that the Holy Spirit convicts about, the, the, the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning righteousness. Which this one, I was like, what are you saying, Jesus? I don't understand this. It, it, it sounds kind of weird at first because he says, hey, you're going to be convicted about righteousness because I'm going to go away to the Father. And you're kind of like, what, what? Here's what it means. Jesus is saying this. He is the embodiment of righteousness. Jesus is the embodiment of God's righteousness. He's the embodiment of justice is another way to translate that word. Jesus is the embodiment of all that is right and good and true. Jesus is the the embodiment of that. And so what Jesus is saying is as his ministry has been going on, as he's lived on earth, he's shown us a picture of God's righteousness. He's shown us a picture of all that. He has been that in the flesh. But he's going to the Father. And so the logic goes, okay, if we if the embodiment of righteousness goes, we don't know righteousness. We don't know God's righteousness anymore. And what Jesus is telling them is, no, the Holy Spirit will still convict you of his righteousness. The Holy Spirit will still speak to you and tell you, no, Jesus is true righteousness. There's probably also connotations with this text to the Isaiah text where it says that our good deeds are like filthy rags to God. This idea that even us at our best aren't, we aren't righteous. Even when we're at our best, we aren't righteous. And so there's this conviction the Holy Spirit does going, You need righteousness that you can't get on your own, even when you're one of the best humans on earth. You need Jesus' righteousness. So the Holy Spirit convicts about righteousness, concerning righteousness, okay? Uh, The second, or the last thing that the Holy Spirit, the third thing that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of is judgment, of judgment. So we have to remember, when Jesus uses the word world, this is shorthand for him uh, to say uh, those in active rebellion against him. So anybody that is in active rebellion against God. And so Jesus says, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come. It's going to convict you concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Here's what Jesus is telling us as he goes to the cross one of the powers of the of the cross of his work really on the cross is the ruler of this world is judge to give you an idea of who the ruler of the world is it's Satan when the bible talks about Satan when Jesus talks about the devil he doesn't go ah oh, yeah that guy like he's the worst you know like he's like no this guy is ruling this world This guy is controlling and influencing how humans operate in the world. And Jesus constantly throughout John is kind of going like, listen guys, you're sons of the devil. And they don't like that because they go, no, we're sons of God. He goes, no, you're sons of devil because you live like him, you act like him, you look like him. And Jesus is saying, he's going to the cross and the ruler of this world, the devil, will be judged. By his death on the cross, we'll be defeated. And so, what Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit is going to come and continue that work that Jesus did, where Jesus was going, Hey, you guys are sons of the devil. The Holy Spirit is going to come and convict and say, Hey, the way you operate is so contrary to God, it's under an evil power with a name. Your dad's the devil. To which we go, not my dad. If you look like him and you act like him, he's your dad. And we go, well, listen, what does that mean? Like celebrating Halloween? No. It means being contrary to God. It means opposing God. It means choosing your anger over love. Or like for them, the way that they judged Jesus was wrongly and it put Jesus on the cross because their own judgment was like the devil's judgment. I think that's a little bit of what Jesus is getting at here. And so the Holy Spirit will continue to do this work where he convicts us saying, listen guys, whether you think so or not, the power and the life that you live under is satanic. The way you live is, is satanic which sounds super intense but this is what Jesus said so take with it what you will i'm not saying that all people in my eyes look really bad i'm just saying that our righteousness is so weak and so lame and that our default is constantly to oppose god whether we think we are or not there's a lot of good things about humanity we are made in the image of god but a lot of us need to be convicted about the subtle ways we operate under the devil, under his rule. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit will convict us of that. So the Holy Spirit convicts concerning righteousness, sin, judgment. This is a way the Holy Spirit works. This is how we can get to know the Holy Spirit is through seeing that work of him. And the only solution to those convictions is Jesus himself, okay? We need Jesus for those things. This is why I think Jesus mentioned sin and righteousness and judgment. I think what Jesus is trying to say, hey, you're sinners, but you need my righteousness. And it is good for us to be convicted of these things. The gospel is good news because as we get convicted of where we fall short in this world, the Holy Spirit comes in and tells us Jesus loves you still. Jesus wants you still. Jesus has made a way for you still. Jesus can renew your heart still. Jesus can change you still. That's why the gospel is good news. And that's why conviction, although very depressing and really looked down upon in our culture, is actually a good thing for us. It leads us into Jesus' arms. So if you are the kind of person that goes, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's ever worked in my life. I'm not sure about that. If you've ever been convicted about your sin or your righteousness or judgment, the Holy Spirit has worked in your life. In just the ordinary going, man, I messed up. Man, I talked to my kids wrong. Man, I'm the worst roommate. Man, I'm this, I'm that. You don't have to live in that identity because Jesus gives you a new identity in his righteousness. But it is a work of the Holy Spirit to help you understand that you sin. It's good for us. Okay, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So let's keep going in the text and look at something else about the Holy Spirit. Uh, chapter 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus says, but you cannot bear them now. Okay, so the last thing that I want to point out about the Holy Spirit today, and that's where we're ending in the passage today, is this. The Holy Spirit speaks. Again, the logic is this. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God with literal vocal cords. Jesus is God with a literal voice, although God had used a literal voice at different times in history. But Jesus is God with a physical, embodied voice. And if Jesus is going away, the voice of God is going away. But what Jesus here says about the Spirit is actually no. The voice of God is not going away. It will now be found through the Holy Spirit. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit will remind the disciples of all the truth. The Holy Spirit will let them know what they need to know. It will remind them of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will not contradict Jesus. That's why Jesus is going, listen, he's giving you what the Father gave me. He's going to give you. He's speaking not on his own authority. He's speaking on my authority. Because what Jesus is saying there about the Holy Spirit, uh, he's reminding us of how when a lot of his ministry, he he keeps going, me and the Father are one. Me and the Father are one. Me and the Father are one. Which would sound like us today hearing, me and God are one. Me and God are one. And so now, as he goes away, he's going, the Holy Spirit is one with me and the Father. And the Holy Spirit's going to continue to speak and do this work of speaking that I've done. And so the Holy Spirit speaks the word of God. That verse did you see in verse 12, I think it was, where he goes, there's stuff you can't bear right now. I think that's the New Testament, guys. Like a common argument in our culture today is going, well, Jesus didn't say all these things that Paul said or Peter said or or John said or whomever wrote whatever book that is bothering you at that moment. I think, that, I think that Jesus laid it out for us in 16. He goes, listen, there's some other stuff i got to share about. You're not ready, though. <laughs> like, but the Spirit will speak those things to you eventually. And that's why we can trust the New Testament as God's word. The Holy Spirit speaks with the same authority of Jesus. So we can hear from the Holy Spirit and hear truth from the Holy Spirit. So, one of of the works we have to see about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit speaks to us, okay? So here's all the things that we've seen about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit continues essentially the work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit continues the work of Jesus, but now instead of just in a physical location, the Holy Spirit continues the work of Jesus through his people, even going before his people globally. So now the Holy Spirit does a work going before the people of God, in and through the people of God. And so now we don't just get Jesus in one location. We get Jesus wherever his people go or are, and even farther than that. And then the Holy Spirit does this work of convicting the world of all sorts of things. And the Holy Spirit still speaks to us the very words of Jesus, the teachings of God. Okay, so it's beautiful. It's like, wow, those things about the Holy Spirit are beautiful. Anthony, why is my experience of the Holy Spirit so far from that. Those things are nice, but it seems like those things are only for the super Christians or the weird Christians, and I try to stay away from the weird Christians. Because they're always giving me words about things that don't make sense and aren't true. And so we go, "I I don't know, I like the Holy Spirit. Yeah, like he's equal to Jesus and the Father. But does he really convict? Does he really speak today? Isn't that just the goofy Christians? Here's my conviction. As I read the New Testament and I look at the Holy Spirit, I cannot shake that the church, those that live on the other side of the resurrection, which is us, are supposed to be guided by the Spirit, connected by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, hear from the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, have fruit because of the Spirit's work in our lives, I can't shake it. As much as I would love to read the New Testament and go, hey, there's going to be these guys they are going to do all this weird stuff. It's going to freak you out about the Holy Spirit. And don't worry about it. I'm not really working. It's just the Bible now. Don't worry. Like, I wish that's what it said. But as I read the New Testament, that's not what it says. It says the Holy Spirit is living and active in our lives as the people of God. And so I think that leaves a bunch of us going, well, then how do I access the Holy Spirit? How do I connect to the Holy Spirit then? If the Holy Spirit lives in me, Anthony, as you're saying, because I'm a disciple of Jesus, why does the Holy Spirit seem so far from me? How can I access him? How can I walk by the Spirit, as Paul puts it? I think it's this. I think it's through very ordinary relational means. I think... That we get closer to the Spirit, that we connect with the Spirit through spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, whatever you want to call it. These things that we saw Jesus himself often doing to connect to his Father and be empowered by the Spirit. If you want to go read an interesting uh, book of the Bible where it talks about how often the Spirit guides and is in Jesus, read the Gospel of Luke. It seems like everything Jesus does is empowered by the Spirit. And I think that the way for us to connect with the Spirit as believers is through these sorts of spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, whatever you want to call them, relational practices with God. I think it's through those things that we see Jesus even doing that will connect us to the Spirit and help us to access the Spirit. Things like scripture reading. Things like prayer, things like fasting, silence and solitude, singing and praising, listening to the teaching of of God's word. I think all of those things can work in our lives in a way that will tune our hearts to hear from the Holy Spirit and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to know the sort of work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Through these little spiritual practices. And I don't think it has to always be this big, sometimes fake or grandiose or weird thing. I think often how the Spirit moves is very earthly. Earthly in the sense of like it makes sense to us because the Holy Spirit knows how to reach us. But I think we have to have an intentional pursuit of these practices. I think an intentional pursuit of prayer and silence and solitude especially connect us to the Holy Spirit. Especially tune our hearts and our spiritual ears, if you will, to the Holy Spirit. A lot of us are going, I don't feel connected to the Holy Spirit because I tried those things once and I didn't feel anything and I had a hard time. It takes an intentional pursuit. Pursuit. This is why some people call them spiritual disciplines. It takes discipline. And the reason it is so hard for us to connect with the Holy Spirit is because connecting with the Holy Spirit is so contrary to how we operate in the world. We operate in a world where we just kind of feed our appetites constantly and live off of our flesh or live off of our instinct. And the Holy Spirit invites us into a relational life that's so different than that. And so I think it's through these spiritual practices that we can be connected to the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in his grace often connects with us even when we don't practice those spiritual practices. But I think that's what, if you're going, man, I really want to connect with the Holy Spirit. I want to hear from the Holy Spirit. I want to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to try some of these practices more intentionally and thoroughly. I had a buddy, not a buddy. Actually, was a leader in college. He he led the college ministry that I was part of, and I went to at ASU. And he often heard from God, and uh, it wasn't weird usually, but often he'd talk about how he felt like the God he felt like God wanted to tell us something. Or often, even with me, when me and him would hang out, I'd be telling him something I'm wrestling with, and he'd be like, "Man." do you remember this verse in Isaiah? And it would just really speak to what I was going through or what I was wondering about in regards to God. But he had this reputation of hearing from God because he often just talked like, hey, God's told me this and God says to do this or this thing. And so a lot of times it was Bible verses. A lot of times it was just kind of normal things. And sometimes it was a little bit extraordinary where he was almost kind of like predicting things that would happen, saying, hey, I think God says this is going to happen. And, and then that thing would happen and we'd have to wrestle with that. You know, And so he got this reputation of hearing from God. And and even I remember there was a girl once who I was talking to and she was kind of like, listen, dude, like, oh, oh, you know that guy? His name was Sean. Oh, you know Sean, the guy that hears from God, right? He had this reputation of that. And, and, and what I realized is everybody was just kind of like, how does he hear from God so much? Like, how is this possible? And so he was beginning to get asked this question all the time. And so one day he gets up to give a talk at, at, the, at the gathering that we had. And he goes, hey, a lot of people ask me, how do I hear from God? Let me tell you, my car doesn't have a radio. And this always stuck with me. He goes, my car doesn't have a radio. And he goes, and I go back home to California a lot. And when I'm driving to California, I pray. I pray. It's silent in my car because I don't have a radio. And I just spend time praying and talking to God, and tuning my heart to the Holy Spirit. And so after so much time in silence, and solitude in a sense, and prayer, he began to hear from God in clear ways. Listen, I'm not encouraging us to get goofy with this. All of us hate the person that says, I heard God told me this thing about you. And it's just super discouraging and kinda mean or just something they wanted to say. The worst, like, here, let me give you a heads up. If I'm singing and worshiping, and God tells you to tell me something mean about me, just wait till the end of service, okay? I'd like to just sing, okay? Let me sing in my sin, or whatever, like, and then after service, you can convict me. We all don't like that person. But I think if we're honest with ourselves and we intentionally pursue things like prayer and solitude in particular, we will tune our hearts to realize how the Holy Spirit speaks to us and how the Holy Spirit guides us. For me, it's not anything like grandiose and often I'm going, is that just me, God? And is that just my thoughts? But often for me, it's like God puts just kind of a random thought in my head that honest, probably nine times out of 10 is rooted in some Bible verse. But sometimes it's not because it's like, hey, go do this right now. And not in a weird way, but it's something that i would already been kind of pursuing God and asking God for guidance on. And so I, I don't want us to get goofy with the Holy Spirit, but I think too many in our circles, we kind of just go, well, if the Holy Spirit does that, great. What I see from Jesus is the Holy Spirit is to comfort us and to be to our advantage. So why are we not taking advantage of that? We can connect with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can guide us. The Holy Spirit can speak to us. The Holy Spirit can work in our lives. And I think the main way to do that is to pursue the Holy Spirit through these spiritual disciplines that we see Jesus himself doing. My, my hope for the church is this. As I've talked about this a bunch over the last couple months, but there's just a lot of people walking away from the church right now. A lot of them are in my age range and are my friends, and they have all sorts of reasons for it. And some of the reasons I understand and some I don't understand as much. But I, with all those people, it's, not like I, it's never like I like make this really good point, like, hey, by the way, Here's a picture of the resurrection or something like that. Like there's nothing, there's no good point. But my hope for us is this, that we are so connected to the Holy Spirit that when our hearts begin to doubt, when culture causes us to feel shaken in our faith and unsure about Jesus, that our connection to the Holy Spirit would be so strong that we go, listen, even though following Jesus right now doesn't make sense, I can't shake his presence in my life. And I can't deny all the times that the Holy Spirit has worked in my life and spoke to me. I hope that we could become a people that are so connected to the Holy Spirit that even in the deepest depths of our doubts and pains and sufferings, that we could go, "I, I know the Holy Spirit's real though. That's what I hope. And I think we just have to realize that the Holy Spirit does work today and it's usually small and quiet and ordinary. Okay, so we have, we have access to the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did. Jesus brought his righteousness into this world. He nailed it to the cross. He resurrected and then he sent the Spirit to us. And so we have the Holy Spirit. So we get to see on this side of the resurrection, we get to see that the Holy Spirit's to our benefit. It's to our advantage. It's better that we have the Holy Spirit. For the mission of God. And the Holy Spirit will do a work of convicting. And the Holy Spirit still speaks. And we can commune with the Holy Spirit. May we be a church that communes with the Holy Spirit in all the ways that we should commune with the Holy Spirit. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your spirit. Gosh, God, it is amazing to me that all we do is say, hey, I believe Jesus is Lord and I'm going to follow you now. And you give us your spirit. We don't deserve your spirit. This world doesn't really even deserve your spirit. And yet you have given this world your spirit so that we might be one with you. So that we might be restored. And so, God, I, I ask that we have a better relationship with your Spirit. Father, I know you want to speak to us through your Spirit. I ask that you do. Jesus, I know you want to speak to us through your Spirit. I ask that we hear you. Unblock our ears, God. Holy Spirit, there's probably things you want to do right now even. I ask that you do a miracle of sorts that just causes us to know you more through the presence of your Spirit. Will you drench us with your presence this morning? And God, if those are the wrong things to pray for, will you drench us with whatever it is you want to drench us with? God, we are thankful for you. We're thankful for your son, and we're thankful for your spirit. May we see how good we have it in, the, in Christ through the spirit. Amen.